Welcome, welcome. It was, uh, it was really fun to be part of uh, what was going on in Surrey this morning. Great faith and excitement, and I feel the same way being here right now. I just feel so privileged to be able to be with you, to share God's word, and I'm excited about this, this new series that we're entering into called, uh, called Turning Points. You know, as we, uh, as we thought about this idea of we're going to be looking at different Bible characters and looking at pivotal times in their life when something dramatically changed, either for good or for bad. And uh, we we're thinking about how challenging it is to live an intentional life, to live a life on purpose. The analogy that kind of came to my mind was that sometimes I think our thoughts can feel like water. They flow through our brain and they kind of take the path of least resistance. The things that we think about are just kind of, I mean, life is so overwhelming. There's so much going on. Uh, the world just seems to be constantly in upheaval. And so our thoughts just take kind of the easiest path possible to get through another day. And then sometimes we go, oh, but I don't want to just be passive in the way that I live my life. I really want to do something that matters. And so we, we kind of stop those thoughts and hold them back and try to make better choices. And then it feels like so much pressure is being put upon us, like a dam, that we just, again, kind of give in. And so we go in between just living our life, trying to survive, and then every once in a while trying to rise up and make some dramatic decision for God, and then kind of go back to life as normal. And what we want to be able to look at is this simple idea that our decisions matter. Our decisions matter. In Joshua 24, 15, it says, choose this day who you will serve. It doesn't say, um, think for a long time about who you might want to follow. It says, choose this day. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, today is the day of salvation. There's something in the Bible that, that prioritizes today, and it's for a very simple reason, is that today is the only day that we can change. We can't change yesterday, and we can't change tomorrow, but we can make a decision today and those decisions really matter. There's this, uh, there's a quote, if you've taken a Kingdom Life Ministry School or Equip in the Past, this is, this is in that, and I really like it. It's by a, a guy named Lord Chesterfield. Isn't that great? Lord Sofa. And, uh, and this is what he says. Take care of the minutes, for the hours will take care of themselves. Isn't that a great idea? That as we somehow be able to inject each moment of the day with something meaningful, that's going to take us in a direction. But we can get all freaked out about the hours or the days or the years and go, oh, how am I going to get to where I want to go? And we can become obsessed with that and forget that the next minute is the only moment that we can control. There seems to be two primary obstacles to being able to find meaning and purpose today. And... Uh, the first obstacle is the past, and the second obstacle is the future. It's possible to live in such a way that we become paralyzed by the past and the future, and it steals away our ability to choose good things today. When I think about the past, we can be uh, overwhelmed with regrets. We can have lots of guilt. We can have lots of pain with things that have happened to us. And it's possible to live life in such a way where we're actually walking into the future, walking backwards. 
where we're so focused on all that's going on, all the dysfunction in our life or in our family's life, all the things that we wish could have been, that it's very hard to turn around and to face today. The other thing that cripples us is we get uh, mesmerized by the future. And I don't know about you, but I, you know, I want to plan and, and do things right. And, but often what happens is the more that I think about the future, the more anxious I get, the more overwhelmed I get. And the loftier the goals, the more overwhelming it seems. And by the end of my thinking about the future, I'm so discouraged that I don't even know what to do today. It just feels overwhelming. There's another quote by a, a man named uh, Walker, Walker Percy, who is a, um, who's a novelist, and this is what he says. To live in the past and future is easy. To live in the present is like threading a needle. There's a way that we can live that doesn't know how to seize today. Uh, it's overwhelmed by the past and the future. And sometimes it can feel as though to, uh, to find life in God today can feel like threading a needle. As you get older, that gets harder, by the way. So how, then, do we make healthy choices? Well, what we're going to be doing, as I already said, is we're going to be looking at different Bible characters and looking at turning points in their life and learning from them and their example of how to, uh, how to capture today and find life and meaning, and not just kind of uh, travel wherever the river of our thoughts take us, but actually uh, be purposeful in how we live. So uh, this is what's talked about in, in, about Abram in uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. It says, the Lord said to Abram, this is before his name got changed to Abraham, said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household, to the land which I will show you. Now, each one of those things is significant. So we go from your country. It's your country. You got to go from it. So this would be, many of you have traveled from another nation to come to this nation. So you know exactly what this means. This isn't just about, uh, you know, leaving Canada or China or the Philippines or wherever it is that you came from. You're, you're not just leaving a geographical location. You're leaving everything that's familiar to you. Um, if you're, you know, in Canada, you're leaving your favorite Starbucks, your favorite sushi place. You're leaving uh, the bank that you've always banked at. You're leaving uh, just how you understand how things work. You're leaving your circumstances. And so everything that's familiar, everything that makes sense, you're to leave all that behind. The second one is more obvious, to leave your people. This is all of your relationships. Again, those of us who have come from another country, we know what that feels like, is you're leaving behind your family and friends, and, uh, and it's challenging. The last one is quite interesting. Uh, leave your father's household. What this is referring to back then is you're leaving your job. So back then, if you, uh, you just were always in your father's business, you really didn't have any choice. There was no lateral movement or upward movement to anything. It's just what your family did is what you're going to be doing. And so there's three things that we're leaving behind. We're leaving behind our circumstances. We're leaving behind what's familiar in our relationships. And then we're leaving behind our financial security and our jobs. All of that is to be left behind. And get this, go somewhere. Go somewhere. 
Like all of that is super tangible and real. I can picture Canada. I can picture my friends and family. I know my work. Leave all that and then go to another place that isn't really very clearly described. Well, that's a little challenging. But by the way, it was about an 800-kilometer journey to go from uh, where Abram was to where he was going to be ending up. But listen to what's said about that new place. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I, it, this I is mentioned six times in this little passage. I will bless you, making, uh, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. So we're talking about turning points. What was the turning point in Abram's life? What was, he, what was he turning from? Well, at a first read of the passage, it looks like he's leaving a land. He's leaving his circumstances. He's leaving his relationships. He's leaving his financial security behind. But if you notice, there's uh, each one of those things starts with a your. Uh, your country, your people, your father's household. And then you're going to go to the land where I will bless you. I will take care of you. I will make your name great. He's moving from a your location to a I location. And if we can change the language, he, uh, the, the shift... The turning point for Abraham is to follow, to move from following a me to move to following a he, to following God. It's less about those particular things, and it's more about uh, shifting your life focus from what's familiar to you, what you understand, what you're in control of, and to live this other life that is about following me. This is what's going on in this passage. So here's the point. As we enter into a new series, there's one decision that matters more than any other decision that churns our life more significantly than anything else. Not just once, but every day and every moment of every day. And it's this, the decision to trust in God. Now, I've been a, a, a Christian for a while, talked to lots of, uh, lots of other Christians and I ask them about uh, their faith in Jesus, and they go, oh, yeah, I did that. I did it at camp when I was five, or my parents when I was five, went to camp again when I was 11. And, uh, yeah, I've done that, you know, semi-regularly. And they describe this idea of trusting Jesus as something that happened back then, as they talk about fire insurance, you know. But what we're seeing here is that this is a way to live, it's not a moment in time in the sense of a decision that's, that's made in the past. It's every moment of every day. He's going on a journey. He doesn't know where he's going. He's never been there before. He's following God. This is the decision that trumps every other decision that we make. Now, I don't know about you. I am thinking mostly about those other decisions. Where am I going to live who are my friends going to be? Who am I going to marry? Uh, what's my job going to be? How am I going to have financial security? Those become the decisions that can consume us, can't they? And this passage comes along and says, forget about all that. Trust in me. 
yeah, I mean, it's easy for you to say, but uh, where am I going to live? How am I going to pay the bills? Will I ever get married? Who are my friends? And these decisions can consume us because they're so practical and present. And, and God has to shake Abram out of putting his confidence in those things into an entirely different way of living and it's follow me, follow God. Absolutely remarkable. Um, let's just unpack this idea about me-centered thoughts a little bit more. What is a me-centered thought? Does it mean that I can't, you know, care about where I live? Am I supposed to just not care about that anymore? Or, you know, I should just go on welfare and not care about having... Like, what does that mean? Well, it's about trust. Uh, it would have been easy for Abraham to trust in his circumstances. I've got this. To trust in his finances. To trust in his job. To trust in his relationships. And a radical thing needed to happen to shift Abram's confidence from being in what he, what he has and who he is to being in God. He had to shake it up. Now, I don't know about you, but this is very disturbing. This is a sobering thought. I'm asking you to leave it all behind, and there's only one thing that you're going to know moving forward, and it's to follow me. That's it. What a radical way to live. Me-centered thoughts don't want to think about that. We just want to think about what, what we can control and understand and what makes sense, what's logical, what's clear, what's familiar. But what ends up happening is we end up living Small lives. I, uh, this is, it's kind of a dumb example, but it's all I got. Uh, I remember, uh, I, I'm a little kid. We lived out in the country, and uh, my dad was always building things, and so whenever he needed to mix concrete, we'd get a new uh, um, uh, pile of sand. And so for us as kids, this was a great place. I, I don't know, do, so, you know, we played with Tonka toys. Do you know what that is? Does anybody know? Okay, good. So I'm not that old. Okay. Or it just means they've made them for a long time. Um, but we played with Tonka toys. So, so it was super fun. We got new sand. And so we just, we would, before we used it for building something, we would make these elaborate cities. Very fun. And sometimes we'd make bridges, and that was really complicated, and it was all different levels. And, and so we would, we would put all this time and energy into, uh, into building our nation, you know, our little, our little city. And then we'd build it, and it's like, now what? Like, now what are we going to do? I mean, it's like run the little car. <laughs> it was just dumb. And so we could hardly wait until that was destroyed, and we'd start over again. And here's what I think is true about us. We spend tons of energy dreaming about and purchasing a piece of land or an apartment. 
and then we, we spend tons of energy hoping to marry somebody and that that will go well and finding a great, uh, a great group of friends. And then we, we, we put, uh, we can put tens of thousands of dollars into getting an education in the hope that one day we'll have a, a really good job, something that's going to give us meaning and purpose. And we assemble all these things like I'm assembling our little city in a sand pile. And then at the end of it, you go, so I'm, I'm like a little older now, right? So I'm 61. And I feel as though uh, in the 20s and 30s, you're still building your sand pile. But I get to look at people who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s. And they're all going, okay, I have it all. And now what? I, ha I have the house and I have 2.5 kids. And, I and now what? And so what they have to end up doing is amusing themselves. And so we'll take up gardening or... I know, mountain biking, who would ever do that? And, uh, you know, like you just, you just got to fill in your time because there's really nothing left to do. Put in all this energy, get it, and now what? Drive the... This is very interesting. Look at uh, Luke chapter 14. Put that on the screen. This is Luke 14. This is the master who, who symbolizes God, puts on a great banquet. And you can imagine if, if a godlike character puts on a, a banquet, it's going to be amazing. Really, really good food, super fun. Uh, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought my house. I've just bought my first apartment. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. I mean, thank you very much for the banquet. Really, I appreciate it. But I just, and it's super cool, and I've been saving up a super long time to get it, and I just really want to see that. I'm sure you understand. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. Doesn't seem super interesting. But I've just put an investment in a business. I've just bought a new, a new car, and I'm, I'm on my way to try them out. And I can picture that. I just want to try the new thing that I bought or the new investment that I made. I want to see how it's going to work. It's about finance. And then the last one is, please excuse me, still another said, I just got married so I can't come. That's the relationships. Now, isn't that remarkable that the same things that Abram was being called to leave are the three things that people make excuses for to not attend the banquet of the Lord Jesus? You know, it's so easy to take the path of least resistance in our thoughts and just do the normal, obvious, logical things. To play it safe, it's easy, it's straightforward, nobody's going to think you're crazy. And then when we look at Jesus inviting us into his work and his plans and his purposes, we go, really? I love that stuff. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I think it's super cool. It looks fun from a distance. But I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to get my first down payment. I'm just trying to get through school. I'm trying to find a husband or wife. Like, don't get me wrong. I'll get around to it. But please excuse me. I've got to just get some other things done. I've got to get my sand pile the way I've dreamed it would be. 
And then when that happens, I, oh man, am I going to get around to your stuff? And God with Abram flips that on, it, on, its, on its head and says, no, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. This is, this is radical, radical stuff. So what do he-centered thoughts, is that me-centered thoughts, what do, what do God-centered, he-centered thoughts look like? Well, they're just all about blessing. They're all about blessing. It's mentioned five times, I will bless. Now, here's what's interesting about those blessings, is that they include our circumstance. I'm going to make you a great nation. They include money. I'm going to bless you. That's a financial promise. Relationships. You're going to just have tons of kids and a huge family. It's going to be amazing. So here's the, here's the strange thing. Um, God says, leave all that behind. Come follow me. And I'm just going to give you that all back. Like, why don't I just start there? Like, why do I have to go? Like, why? Because I need to establish that your identity is in me. So when I give you those blessings, they won't corrupt your heart and steal you away from me. There'll be an expression of our relationship together. And I love to bless my children. But here's the question. Can you trust him with that? Can you trust him with that? I, uh, I remember in, in grade nine, I've always, I've really enjoyed shop. I've just enjoyed, all, I love working with my hands. And uh, I remember in grade nine, I know I'll, you can sign up for an autograph. I got the award in grade nine. I know, I know, uh, to, to be the top shop kid. I don't even know what it was called, but I, I was that guy. And they gave me a, a booklet. I think I still have it. That was a few years ago, and I think I still have the book. And it's how to build log houses. I don't know why that gave, gave that to a grade nine kid. But anyways, I got a book on how to build log houses. I thought this was the coolest thing in the world. I looked through that book like you have just over and over again. And I thought, I want to build a house. Log, log would be super cool, but I just want to. And so I took in, you know, I took architectural drafting through school. I become a shop teacher. I teach architectural drafting. And I always have built, uh, dreamed about building uh, our own home. That just has been a, a thought. And then I remember uh, very clearly uh, running the numbers, as it were, uh, deciding to become a pastor and living in Vancouver. And I thought, okay, the dream isn't going to quite line up with this reality. And I remember it just, uh, I, it was very clear that that's something that I had to, I had to leave I had to leave behind that dream. And only as God would have it, and I'm not making any promises about uh, where you're going to live or what's going to happen, but this was meaningful to me just because I, I just love that stuff so much. We've, uh, um, Debbie and I got to build our own house and then now just recently build a laneway house. For those of you in construction, you're, you're just going, oh, that sounds horrible. But for us, it was super fun. And, uh, and it, was, it was the restoration of laying something down and watching what Jesus would do. Now, you know, I always am quick to say because I don't want our identity to be in owning a house. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It seems helpful now for the kingdom, so I'm very grateful for that. But uh, renting seems much easier as far as I can tell. 
But listen to what is said in Matthew 19, verse 29. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, see the same kind of ideas. For my sake, we'll receive a hundred times as much in this life, one of the other references says, and will inherit eternal life. There's a saying that we have in every nation that God can't bless what he doesn't rule. I think it's super hard to trust Jesus. You know, we'll say, I trust that he forgave my sins and that uh, I'm going to go to heaven. I trust him with that. Great. Leave behind your country, your people, and your job. Great. And of course, Jesus' response is, which is more difficult for me, to forgive your sin or to provide for you practically? Which is more difficult? But that you would know that I can forgive sins, I'll provide for you practically. In my mind, that's just like, no, no, forgive, easy. But to trust him practically, to leave behind what's familiar, what I can control, and to live a life of faith going in a direction that I have no idea where this is going to end up, that's different, and that clarifies where my faith is truly at. The point was never to sacrifice something for Jesus. The point was to strengthen and clarify what our heart ultimately trusts in. And it's that that is the primary turning point, not just once, but all day long, every day. It's the, it's the decision that gives rise to every other meaningful decision in our life. So in the conclusion, what thoughts do you follow? Me-centered thoughts, he-centered thoughts. What thoughts do you follow? Are they the thoughts of the path of least resistance? I'll just, I'll just do what seems obvious. I'll do what seems logical. I'll do what I can control. I'll do what's familiar because it's familiar. We become inspired by Abraham where it says in verse 4, Abram went as the Lord had told him. The turning point in the moments of our day is always about who our faith is in. You know, I'll be, I'll be talking to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and I'll, I'll sense God saying, this is like a moment. I'll sense that. And then immediately inside of me, I just, it starts about here, and it's just, nope. I'm, I'm too afraid. I'm, nope. I mean, it's a good idea, but I'm busy, and I'm going to go have a counseling appointment with somebody, and that's also Jesus' work. And I can, I can feel the fear rise up, and I want to do a normal thing. I don't want to do an abnormal thing. I don't want to look silly in front of a stranger. The turning point that faces me throughout my days is who am I going to trust in in this moment? You're raising children. Am I going to be afraid of my children? Or am I going to trust God with my children and invest in them in faith instead of fear? 
Am I going to make decisions about where I work and how much money I make? Am I going to base it on who, on Jesus being my provider or that I have to manage that part of my life? These turning points aren't about the things. They're about who we're trusting in in those things. And that is what matters and determines our life direction. Romans 4.13 says, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. Not through the law. Not through doing it all right and being super clever. It's not, that's not how you're going to get into your dream life, as if it exists. But through the righteousness, through the right relationship, that is through faith or trust. The, 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 the thing that faced Abraham is, who will I trust? In this moment, in this moment, in this moment. And as we take care of the minutes, the hours take care of themselves. As we live in the present and thread that needle between the past and the future, which are both overwhelming, and as we make faith decisions in the minute, it takes us places that is only described as blessing. It's the only description given. It's just blessing upon blessing upon blessing. But can we trust him to be that God? Therefore, what has he then, in conclusion, what has he told you to do today? If you don't, find, if you don't know, it would be good to find out. What has he told you to do today? What has he told you to do in the next minute? Now, just let's be, I, I try to be as, as practical as possible. Um, we're going to, well, we're going to do communion in a minute, and then we're going to wrap up. And then you're going to have some decisions to make. Like, how fast do I leave? Uh, who should I say hi to? Uh, who do I not want to say hi to? Whatever it would be, uh, you're going to make some decisions, like right, like right away. And is faith going to inform those decisions, or is a decision going to be the path of least resistance? Oh, I like hanging out with people. Oh, no, I, wanna, I just wanted to worship and hear a sermon that was hopefully helpful, and then we'll be on our way. What, what would faith look like in this minute? Is that a great way to think? Now our life is full of eternal significance, not just taking the path of least resistance. This becomes an exciting kind of life. I, I really like what Pastor Tim said earlier, that it, we were at the Surrey site, and you can just tell everybody's eyes are, like, bigger because it's a new thing. It's shiny, right? It's a new thing. I love that you would focus on here and say this moment can be as miraculous as anything that's happening new anywhere else. And what makes a moment meaningful is trusting in Jesus in that moment. Now it becomes an incredible moment, whether it's hard or easy. So the encouragement is the worship team could come up. The encouragement is, uh, please don't put faith off until tomorrow. Just hear me. We're, we're done now, but listen to this, please. Don't put faith off until tomorrow. Don't say, excuse me, I've got to buy a field. I've got to test out some oxen. I've got to get married, and then I'll serve you. Don't put off faith. Trust in him that he will bless you 
as you put your, uh, your faith in who he is.